Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to this week's episode of Mill Liberty. I am Caleb Franz. This is the voice of liberty for a new generation. I'm thrilled to have you here today. Boy, do we have uh, an episode lined up for you because, quite honestly, it's been one hell of a week. Uh, honestly, past two weeks, um, to be quite frank with you, because there has been a lot covered since Trump has entered into his position as President of the United States. And some of it, a little bit of it, is good. Most of it, not so much. But I do want to touch on a little bit of um, of the good things, and I think the best thing to happen uh, just happened uh, two days ago now, and that is the nomination of Neil Gorsuch for the Supreme Court. And this is something that I was very skeptical of, and I think rightfully so, that I didn't have any reason to believe that he would pick a very good person, but I, I do think a lot of people have been whispering in his ear as to uh, who that pick should be and who should be the rightful heir to Antonin Scalia. Um, and I think he's a very good judge in his own right from what I can tell. I, I'm not going to pretend like I, I knew exactly who this guy was well before the pick. I, I didn't. I tried to do some research, though, whenever I found out that he was going to be the likely nominee. Um, and I thought that he was a very favorable pick, honestly. And I see a lot of people, not, not only those on the right, but a lot of people um, who are kind of transpartisan. Um, they, they, people like Mike Lee, people like um, Rand Paul, people like Justin Amash, people who don't always necessarily give the president um, applause whenever he does something bad. Uh, but this is something that I would consider very good, and I, I wanted to start with that because there's a lot of... The rest of this episode is not going to be quite so much in that positive tone. The rest of this episode is to focus on how the pendulum has officially swung in the other direction. And what do I mean by that? The the pendulum of power, not just not just the power, but the pendulum, um, and the way that we look at politics in America has officially swung. Just two weeks ago, Republicans were very well; they at least seemingly very small government, very um, anti executive orders. They could point to any given day as to what Barack Obama was doing wrong, now we have a very different situation. Now we have Republicans who support big government, again. Now we have Republicans who support executive orders, again. Now we have Republicans who support a whatever-it-takes method, um, my Facebook has been lit up and just in the past week because I've, uh, you know, I, I, I dare question the authority of the President of the United States or something like that. Um, and I, I've had a lot of people chime in saying that, well, Caleb, you have to look at this. 
Democrats have been using executive orders for eight years now, and they've and they've completely unhinged the system. So it's okay if we cut a cut a few corners to get back to where it is. And I'm sorry, but that's just not true. It's not accurate, and it's not um, safe for the Constitution. It's not safe for the limited government principles that we are supposed to be adhering to. It's not safe for um, for our system of federalism. If you recall a few, uh, a few months ago, way back whenever we first started the show, um, one, one episode that I did right before the election was that the presidency doesn't and shouldn't matter as, as far as how you vote. What matters is a system of federalism and putting the emphasis back on on the separation of powers, not whoever is um, in the White House. And I don't think we've learned that lesson yet. Because right now, Republicans are being apologetic to the Republican president who's using executive orders left and right. I don't think, I honestly do not think he's, I could be, I could be wrong on this, but even if I am wrong, it's like maybe one, maybe two laws that he signed. I, I don't think he signed any. I'll have to check on that, but I really don't think he signed any. Not a single law. But he's made countless executive orders. I think the count was over 12 um, just in his first week. That's dangerous. That's scary. And likewise... We have now seen uh, Democrats, once again, supporting limits of government. Now they know, which this, this could be a little bit of a silver lining, but I don't think it'll last by any stretch of the imagination because it's all partisan and not uh, an actual awakening. But Democrats now support limits of government, which is insane. It's hilarious. Democrats are now supporting... Um, reduced powers on the executive level. For eight years, they've been silent on this. Democrats now are opposed to bombing people again. That's crazy. For eight years, they've been silent on the 26,000 bombs dropped by Barack Obama. 26,000 bombs dropped. That is insane. Democrats now support civil liberties again. Which could be a little bit of silver lining, but I, I, like I said, it's not going to last. Just as much as, um, as Republicans, um, or excuse me, as Democrats supported all these things during the Republican administration, and then they just completely flipped whenever Barack Obama got into office. The pendulum uh, swung back the other way then, and now it has officially uh, swung back into GOP control now. This is very dangerous because it's very, very evident that people are not motivated and driven in American society today by principles. They're not driven in American society today by um, facts. They're not driven by... Uh, just an underlying understanding of what liberty is. They're not driven by that anymore. And it's a little bit un, um, it's a little bit upsetting to see 
some people who you know, or at least you thought, really understood the issues really well, now completely backtracking and completely supporting everything that Trump has done so far, just because, well, he's the Republican now. He's the Republican president. He's in power. That's not an excuse to rule by executive order. We have to remember why we were against executive orders in the first place, at least why we were supposed to be against executive orders in the first place. It wasn't because um, it wasn't because Barack Obama was the president of the United States. I had nothing to do with it. At least it didn't for me. And it didn't for, for the people who I know have conviction. That wasn't the reason why. The reason why was because... A, it uh, dismantled the, the separation of powers. That's incredibly important. It doesn't, uh, just remove the content for a second, just for a second, and look at what executive orders actually do. It says that the president knows more than the Congress, or the president should do more than the Congress. That's frightening. It doesn't matter if they're good executive orders or bad executive orders. Some of the executive orders that Trump has signed, um, I will admit, I have liked. One in particular, um, which I, I think this may be the only one that I've been completely for, except for the fact that it was an executive order and not, um, and not a law passed through Congress, but... Uh, one of the executive orders that I was, in fact, for and I actually liked was the um, – John Stossel talked about it all the time on his show. He called it the Stossel Rule, where if you want to pass one regulation, you have to dismantle two other regulations. I think that's great. I think that's fantastic. But the problem is, is that even that one, even that executive order – it is lazy, to say the least, it is reckless, and it is dangerous at most, because not only does it, not only does it um, upend and unhinge the, the separation of powers, not only does it um, continue the dismantling and the overgrowth of the executive branch, you have to keep in mind that no matter what uh, executive order is signed, that could always be undone at the executive level. That's why it's lazy, it's sloppy, it's dangerous. Because even the good things, we're not even talking about the bad things. This is why uh, separation of powers is so important. This is why working with Congress is so important. Because... Anything, even the good things. Just look at the Mexico City rule, I think it was, where um, where it was President Ronald Reagan who signed this executive order originally, and it's been basically going back and forth, back and forth for every single presidency as soon as the, the pendulum swings again, as soon as the balance of power shifts from Republican to Democrat to Republican to Democrat. And it's not really doing much of anything. What lasts? Laws. Those last. If we want to be smart about this, if we want to 
um, achieve true change, pass it through Congress. Work with Congress. Show that you're not just a king. You're not a dictator. You don't rule by executive decree. So that way, the bad things aren't really all that bad because you, you're not going to... Uh, this is, and this is why I talked about the system of federalism in the first place. Um, the bad things, if the presidency doesn't matter a whole lot, if, if we don't really put too much focus on it, then it doesn't really matter who's in office. But the fact that we put so much of a priority on the executive level shows us exactly the kind of repercussions that we are now facing. Conservatives, libertarians, and for some reason, I have no idea, but it pisses me off. For some reason, a lot of libertarians I see right now, and a lot of ANCAPs, of all people, anarcho-capitalists, are supporting a lot of these executive orders saying, well, at least uh, a lot of them are good. You know, it's a tool. Well, yeah, it is a tool. And it's a tool that's used against the other branches, even the good ones. I, I, I do not want an executive that, passes, that, that signs a lot of executive orders, even if they are phenomenal executive orders. I don't want that because A, it's lazy. It shows that you're not willing to work with anyone. So whenever um, whenever the next guy comes about, he is just following your lead. Whenever the next guy who may be a complete totalitarian, authoritarian dictator, he's just following your lead with the precedent that you set. He didn't have to, so why should I have to? Even though he signed a lot of good things for liberty, he signed a lot of those in, um, um, as executive orders. He didn't have to, so why should I have to? So I'm going to do. I'm going to undo everything that he has done, and I'm going to um, sign a lot of executive orders that is completely antithetical to liberty. That is completely opposed to liberty. We have to remember the system that our founders put into place, and why. This is why George Washington did not want to keep his power. Because one, power corrupts. And even if you have George Washington, even if you had Ron Paul as president, as a term, but reality dictator, even if that happened, it would be great at first, right? You would think so, right? Because they would just immediately pass good things. They would immediately decree good things. But executive power corrupts. That is absolute power, and it corrupts. It's why Washington not only turned down the crown, but also turned down um, more than two terms. Because that power is, is corruptible. And more importantly, it's about the next guy. Yeah, Washington may have been great. Jefferson might have been great. Um, even Calvin Coolidge might have been great. Ron Paul would be great. Rand Paul would be great. All these people I would love to see at the executive level. Or people like them. 
But we have to remember why the Founding Fathers gave us this system in the first place. It wasn't so that one person could rule over everyone, even if that person is, um, is a very prominent figure for liberty. Because even then, it wouldn't really be that prominent. If a president sees Congress as merely an aide instead of an equal, a co-equal, actually even more powerful than the president, that's a problem. That is a great, great problem. Because while the body of Congress is certainly corrupted right now, we should be focusing on limiting their power, not expanding the executive power. It completely defeats the purpose if we just expand the executive power for the sake of a corrupted Congress. Because the whole reason why we are supposed to be against them is because they're so corrupted in the first place and because they've accumulated so much, uh, so much federal government power, even though they've given a lot of uh, legislative power over to the executive and the judicial, we have to put the focus back on Congress. And anyone who, who thinks that this is great, even some of the good things that Trump has been signing, you're being lazy, is what you're, you're doing, quite honestly. It's, it's pure laziness. You don't want to fix things the right way, so you fix things the easy way. But the easy way will always come back to bite you. Likewise, we can um, shift gears slightly, but it's still, because this week has been insane. This week has been absolutely insane. Between that... Um, and his tariff proposals, I, I, I cannot believe my eyes. I always kind of knew that, um, that Republicans were so against free trade. I knew it was just a big farce for elections and everything like that. That's pretty obvious, right? We all know that. It's, it's not something unheard of or anything like that. But the amount at which... Um, Republican, I'm talking about, like, like the base. I'm talking about the base. The amount of, of GOP people that I have seen um, come out and absolutely support Trump's proposal to put a 20% tariff on Mexico goods, on Mexican goods. That is absolutely frightening. I have, I, I have, I always knew that that was a big number of, of people who really didn't understand economics in the GOP. I always knew that it was a pretty large number, but holy cow, the same people who talk about how bad the minimum wage would be, the same people who point and laugh at Bernie Sanders and his supporters because, oh my gosh, look at them, they're so stupid. How, uh, how could anyone support a $15 minimum wage? Don't they know economics? Don't these idiots understand anything about, about, about the free market? The same people that are saying that are saying, give me my wall and give me my tariffs. They're both economically lazy and economically illiterate. Have we not, honestly, have, has, has anyone um, who is proposing these ideas and, and defending them 
Have they honestly not ever read an economics book? They point and laugh at uh, Bernie people who haven't read an economics book, but I don't think that they have either. I really don't. Because if they know under anything about economics, even if they just read something as short and small and simple as something like um, The Law by Friedrich Bastiat, while it delves with a little bit more than just economics, uh, economics is a good portion of it because it's to understand the relationship between government and the economy um, and government and the people as a whole. The correct relationship that uh, government should have and, and that the law should have. It's a really small book, just like the just like the Constitution is a really small document. It's amazing that these things don't have to be big, long, and expansive because they're simple, inalienable, universal truths. But if any of them would read anything like that, they would understand that, as Vasya said, protectionism and socialism and communism are the same plant in three different stages of its growth. They are the exact same thing. One's a seed, one's a little stem, and then one's, one's a big flourishing plant. That's it. They all stem from the same misunderstanding of what economics are and what um, free trade is and what the role, the proper role of the federal government or of any government um, should be. It's not that difficult. <clears throat> trade or um, Free trade allows us to focus on things that Americans uniquely are uniquely good at. Not just uniquely good at, but the things that, that we have the ability to do. We don't have the ability to trade or to, to grow the same things that people in Mexico have the ability to grow. It's just a simple fact of life. That's why we trade, because other countries and other places and other regions around the world have different abilities to do different things. That's just a basic understanding of geography. It doesn't even take economics to understand that. That's just an understanding that there are different places in the world and, and how we grow things. Trade uh, creates good relations between nations. Trade um, keeps America powerful. I was stunned whenever Donald Trump in his um, inauguration address said, protection will give us strength. That chilled me to my core because I knew that a, a far too large um, group of people within the right cheered that. And that has never been the case, ever. It's never, ever been the case. Because what protectionism does is it reallocates resources and reallocates um, human resources and labor from things that we uniquely do. So say like build cars, for example. Well, now a lot of, a lot of people, or, or let's just say, um, let's just say in Iowa, let's just say in Iowa and somebody, there are farmers there, they're, they, that's, their, that's their trade, if you will. They're farmers in Iowa, so they make they make uh, they grow and they harvest, and then they trade with 
say Japan, for example, who makes cars. So now Japan has things that they didn't typically have, and we have things that we wouldn't typically have. As they trade wheat or, or um, farm supply for cars. That's not only does it build good relation, it's just good economics. Because we can focus on things that we naturally um, can do and that we know how to do. Whenever you put a protective tariff in the way of that, it says, no, now you have to reallocate your resources and labor to try to learn this skill, try to learn this new uh, commodity to try to make up for the losses that we'll now have because Japan either doesn't want to trade with us anymore or because a tariff is only a tax, so you're, you're, you're having to pay more because, because the, uh, the tax is too high. So a 20% tariff would mean a 20% rise in prices from this country. Tell me how that's economically feasible. And my favorite part, it's not really my favorite, it's actually quite depressing. My favorite part is whenever I see conservatives using the same old tired line that Bernie bros might use. Well, we don't really need that. We don't really need it. I'm sorry, but I'm pretty sure I can point to, to a great number of things in your own household that you do not need. Does that give me the right to come in and say, I'm gonna ask you to either get rid of that or I'm gonna put a 20% tariff on that? No, of course not. It's your property. You have the right to, to own it. It's not about needs, it's about rights. And yet again, we would understand this if we only, uh, if only, if we only took a little bit of time out of our day to read people like Bastiat and to understand what they had to say. I really don't believe you can have a complete full understanding of um, in education and of economics without reading people like Bastiat or Hazlitt. Bastiat looked at the United States and said, this is the closest thing in the history of the world where people have ever confined government into its proper domain in the history of the world. But he said that the United States, even as great and as, and as powerful and as good as it was, it has two fatal flaws that if it continues will lead to its downfall and destruction. What were those two? The slavery was one, and we fixed that. Rightfully so. And protective tariffs were the other. He said on the, U on the United States, he said that slavery is a violation by law of liberty. To the same extent, protective tariffs are a violation by law of property. You are violating, when you, when you limit my ability and you prevent someone else from trading with me, where if you weren't there... We would have traded. When you slap that, that wall, that economic wall in between us, you're limiting my ability to trade 
with someone else. Thus, you are prohibiting me from obtaining my right to private property. Now, conservatives, I, I, I would think, understand the right to private property. But it seems that's not the case. It would seem that uh, they would rather have protectionism and nationalism and national self-interest to quote-unquote give us strength than to have the right to private property and the right to freely trade with other individuals as we see fit. Trade is not TPP, okay? Trade is not NAFTA. It's not any of that. Trade is, hey, do you want to trade? Sure. That's trade. That's free trade. It's not limited to state boundaries. Conservatives understand that, too, whenever we're talking about health care. It's not limited to state boundaries. It's not limited to national boundaries, either. Borders are nothing when it comes to free trade. They're meaningless. I don't care where you come from if you're going to give me money for my products and vice versa. And it is the best way, the, quite honestly, the only way to have a complete peaceful society across the world so that we can all have a better understanding of who we are and a better understanding of what kind of people we are. It builds good relations. Liberty is the only the only aspect, both economic and personal, it's the only thing that will build good diplomatic relations between other between us and other nations across the world. That's the only thing. Liberty is the best foreign policy. It is. Domestic liberty here and the ability to trade with other nations, with what other whatever other nation that we so choose, with the people in that nation. The ability to do that, that's that's the number one thing that has kept peace and prosperity going year after year after year. Even as unstable as we are, we don't have world wars anymore. At the time, that was a big aspect of it. Actually, trade wars precursed world wars. Limiting the ability of individuals to trade with, with other individuals in other nations. That is one of the signs, one of the precursors of war. If you want peace, you will keep trade. But for Trump and his, and his, uh, and his brainwashed band of robots, it's America first. America first. That's what he loves to say. That's what he loves to tout. If, Mr. Trump, if you want, Mr. President, if you want to keep America first, you will put the individual above the priority of the state. That's the only way. If you want to keep Americans first, not, this, not the country, but the people, if you want to keep Americans first, you will put individuals above the priority of the state, above the priority of the nation. Because people don't really care um, when it comes down to it. They don't care about where their items come from. They want the ability to trade. They want the ability to have peaceful relations with other people. 
If you want peace, if you want prosperity, you will not limit people's ability to obtain their private property. Because that's all you are doing when you are advocating for something like a 20% tariff. That is all you are doing. And then, of course, we have the biggest, uh, the biggest shockwave in the news over the past week. That was the refu uh, or the uh, immigration ban because it wasn't just a refugee ban; it was an immigration ban. This is very interesting because I see a lot of people both on both sides of the argument getting things very wrong whenever they're talking about it, and this falls right in line with what I was talking about um, with with building relations with um, whenever I was talking about the trade aspect of it just now. This falls right into line with it. Um, it's very it's very interesting because a lot of people do not understand what what it is that they were talking about and what it is that they're trying to advocate for whenever on both sides whenever uh whenever they get to the heat of the argument over this over this immigration ban. So let's let's get some of the facts right before I dive into some of the repercussions and what is right and what isn't right about this ban. So first of all, it's not a Muslim ban. Not necessarily. A lot of people are saying it's a Muslim ban um, because he is banning people from certain countries that are predominantly Muslim, but it's not a religious test. It's not a ban on a certain religion. It's a ban on certain countries in a certain region of the world. It suspends the uh, refugee program for 120 days. It bans... Uh, Syrian refugees indefinitely until further notice. And the, uh, the, uh, the citizens of Syria, Iraq, um, Iran, Sudan, Libya, Somalia, and Yemen are also banned. Now, a lot of people are saying that, um, that Obama did it. And actually, Obama started it. And that's why, that's the entire reason why Trump is, 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 doing it in the first place, or not really why, but, you know, that's that's where he, he got the idea from, um, and people were silent then, but that's not really fair, because it's not the same thing. Obama did not do what Trump is doing right now. What Obama did was merely a slowdown. He did um, pick the, the seven countries that Trump picked, or that Trump outlined, and, and use he used the seven countries that that the Obama administration had picked before him. That much is true, but there was never a ban necessarily from um, in, in the Obama administration. It was it was never a ban. It was a slowdown, and it was it took a little bit longer to start vetting things. But things picked right back up after just a year, and it was only refugees. It was not citizens necessarily. So what Trump does is he picks these seven countries and expands upon it. And he outright bans certain people for, oh, really, indefinitely. He suspends the, the refugee program for 120 days, meaning nobody from nowhere can come in. But these seven countries, well, can come in as a refugee. These seven countries, though, are, are suspended indefinitely until further notice. Now, 
a federal judge uh, ruled very quickly whenever people were starting to be detained at airports. It, they She ruled rather quickly that um, this ban cannot apply to those in transit because that just doesn't make any sense. Uh, these are, are people that are coming here legally. Now, what was particularly atrocious was whenever he included... Um, immigrants and green, uh, green card holders, in this ban. These are people who went through the legal way and said, no, you're going to be punished because you went through the legal way. When the entire campaign season, they said, it's, it's about illegal immigration. It's not about the legal immigrants coming here. Well, they threw that right out the window. Now, they, they kind of backtracked on that very shortly after. They tried to fix it within about 48 hours, I believe. Um, but the fact still stands that they try, they, they started banning um, immigrants and non-immigrants non and refugees all across the board. And that is far worse than anything Obama did in this particular situation. Now, what's really interesting, I think, is the not not the countries that were banned necessarily, but the countries that were not banned. The countries that were not banned were because it's really interesting because he cited 9-11 as the reasoning for this. You would think if you're going to cite 9-11 as the reasoning for this, you would ban, oh, I don't know, Saudi Arabia. But no, Saudi Arabia wasn't banned. It was, in fact, only these countries um, where I believe the only incident that has hap that has occurred was a Somalian refugee um, at the Ohio State University. That incident that we had, I believe it was two months ago, maybe, or three months ago. I believe that's about the only incident. Every other incident, they weren't refugees. They weren't immigrants. They were here illegally. They were citizens. They were not refugees. So it's it's peculiar, and and none of them happened from um, Iraq or Syria or Yemen or Libya or Sudan or Iran. None they were from none of those countries. So it's it's uh, very interesting that he would pick these and not pick the ones where we've actually had terrorist attacks from. Now let's 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 get something straight about this now. A lot of people were citing that it is very legal because of the 1952 law that was um, instated and Trump cited giving the president authority to ban um, immigrants and non-immigrants alike for whatever reason they would like. They don't really need a reason. Okay, so that is half true. That law, that there is a law that says that. Yes, it's true. However, um, a 19... 65 law limited that law so that you cannot discriminate against um, immigrants for their nationality unless somehow uh, the law is changed or amended or, or limited or added to by Congress. That's the only authority that he is able to have. Non-immigrants and refugees, you can do whatever you want. But as far as immigrants, as far as people who come here legally, who went through the process the right way, 
as far as that goes, this executive order is completely uh, lawless, and it greatly oversteps the authority of the President of the United States. And it's quite frightening, <laughs> to be honest. Now, a little bit of that has been amended, as I said, but let's talk a little bit about if it's right or not. Let's let's talk about um, the specifically about the non-immigrants and the refugees because they tried to fix the immigrant status um, of it. But let's talk about whether or not we should or should not take in immigrants. This is very interesting because, as I said before with the terror thing, um, you're building bad relations by shutting out other nations. That same concept applies here. You are building bad relations with other nations by shutting out refugees that come to the United States from the countries that we bomb. I believe every country except for Iran, it looks like. Every country except for Iran um, in this immigration ban are countries that we bomb. Are countries that, that we have a war in right now. Now, you can blame a lot of people for this. You can blame George W. Bush. You can blame Barack Obama. You can... Um, I, I don't know that it's necessarily fair to blame Trump yet whenever he's had only two weeks. However, he is escalating and continuing the bloodshed and the massacres that have been occurring in the Middle East in the two weeks that he um, has been president and even uh, had a, an eight-year-old girl killed now that it's under his watch an eight-year-old girl the daughter of Anwar al-Awlaki the the U.S. citizen that we droned we had no constitutional authority to do so yes he was a terrorist he was a bad person I understand that but even terrorists have rights and next week we're going to talk about certain constitutional aspects um in particular does the Constitution apply to U.S. citizens? But in this case, he was a U.S. or um, apply outside of U.S. citizens. But in this case, he was uh, a U.S. citizen. So even though he was a terrorist, there was no constitutional authority for the Obama administration to kill him without a fair trial. None whatsoever. But now Trump has the same kind of bloodshed on his hands. It builds bad relations with other countries. I understand um, the need to, to keep the country safe, but quite honestly, with the sloppy mess that this immigration ban was rolled out, I think that it does more to endanger the lives of American citizens than it does to keep us safe, and here's why. Even though it's not necessarily an immigration ban, or excuse me, a Muslim ban, make no mistake, it does look like that. It is perceived that way, and that could very easily be used as a propaganda tool by ISIS. They point to the United States and say, well, you look at this, even, and, and make no mistake, all, all that there has to be is a perception, not necessarily the truth. As long as it's a half-truth, then they can roll with it. They can say, look at this, the United States is waging war against Islam. It's not true but it's what's perceived. And because of the sloppiness that this thing was rolled out, ISIS can use this as recruiting tools. Radical groups can use this as recruiting tools. That's dangerous. 
I understand if you want to fix the vetting process. If you just left it at the suspension of the refugee um, program for 120 days, it wouldn't be that bad, but you went further than that. You went much further than that. You went further than that now to say um, that even people who are trying to come through the legal way cannot get in. There is a speaker that I, I, I will be at the International Students for Liberty Conference in just a few weeks, and there's a speaker that was supposed to be there that is not going to be there now, who is, who is completely peaceful, who is completely, who, who is coming and, and going from the United States. He was banned from uh, Sudan, I believe it was, and now he's banned from the United States. And he cannot make it to the International Students for Liberty Conference because of that. Because of this uh, travel ban. That is insane. It is in opposition to what we are and who we are as a country. And it is dangerous because it builds bad relations with other people. If we are saying to the world that we are not going to take the refugees that we helped create... Because we've been dropping bombs on these on this region for, for nearly two decades. Really longer than that. We helped create this crisis. Now, we're not the only ones, and I'm not trying to bash America necessarily, but it is hypocritical if we do not um, try to alleviate the, the burden that we helped create. And now we have other countries lining up against America. Like, for example... Um, as we close here, I want to, to really hit on this point. Uh, Iran put a travel ban against us. And I believe Iraq also did so. I understand nobody wants to go to those places. They're horrible places. Okay, we get that. And I see a lot of people, even well-meaning people, even people who understand um, the situation, and agree with a majority of what I have just said see a lot of people going, oh, well, I guess I can't go to Iran now. There goes my summer, or there goes my spring break or my summer plans. It's not about going to Iraq, why this is, or Iran, why this is so important and why this is dangerous. What makes it so dangerous is the tension that it creates and the bad blood between nations. Just as much as Trade wars typically precurse world wars or actual wars. So does this. These cause the, the, the drums of war to be just a little bit faster. And that's dangerous. You may not necessarily want to go to Iran. I don't. Middle East is a horrible place. Why would I ever want to go there? I don't want to go to Iraq. I don't want to go to Iran. I understand that. But the bad relations between nations in an already unsteady and unstable environment is never a good thing. When you're purposely trying to do that, it's never a good thing. We should always strive for peace, for prosperity at all costs. Even during the Cold War, we somehow adverted that. We cannot step towards that way any further. We're getting dangerously close to an area that we do not need to be in currently. We have our own problems here at home. We, it is incredibly dangerous if we get involved in another war. This week has certainly been a wild week. And this month 
even though this week has been wild, this month is actually incredibly exciting for this show as we come to a close here. Uh, and I am very excited about the ability to go to uh, the Students for Liberty Conference in Washington, D.C., as I was just talking about. Um, I am very excited to be able to interview Jack Hunter in that same week, and that interview will be uh, provided the following Thursday. And then we have a very exciting CPAC event that I hope you will all, if, if you're going to be a CPAC or Students for Liberty, please stop by. They'll both be on Radio Row. Um, and by next week, we should have all the details of that CPAC event confirmed and finalized, and I'll be able to tell you about that a little bit more uh, then. Next week, we have a very good episode. It's almost a continuation of this week, quite honestly, because this week we've been talking about, oh, it's a whole shit ton of of stuff. Um, but next week, it's going to be very specific, but it's going to be very much in line with, with what we were talking about this week, specifically in relation to the refugee ban. Uh, in the refugee crisis, and that is, as I said earlier, does the Constitution only apply to U.S. citizens? It'll be a conversation on natural rights and on constitutional law that I really don't want you to miss because it's very important, and even I see uh, this is a very divided issue between a lot of libertarians and conservatives, and um, I can't wait to uh, ruffle some feathers with that. Uh, if you're on Twitter, please... Uh, as I say every week, follow me on Twitter, at Caleb France, so you can never miss an update, and then follow the show at Liberty, so you will always get the show. We've had a very good, actually a very good episode this week, um, and we had a very good one last week, so uh, that was on the pro-life movement, and the libertarian movement, and next week's episode will kind of be accumulation between this week's and last week's. Uh, it'll kind of be a joint episode, if you will. Uh, so please come back next week and, and join us for that. We'll be thrilled to have you. Please subscribe to us on iTunes so that you'll never miss an update. You'll never miss an episode. It'll go instantly into your um, subscription. It'll go instantly into your account. Um, and until next week, be good, be safe. Thank you very much for joining us here on The Liberty. Uh, and we'll see you then, and if I am fortunate enough, I'll get to see some of you in Washington, D.C. as well. We'll see you guys.